Hey, it's Jeremy Myers, and you're listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. So in today's podcast, we're going to be looking at three things like we usually do in these podcasts. First, something sort of political, talking about how to avoid hypocritical thinking and behavior when discussing politics. Then we're going to look at a letter from a listener, specifically in relation to a question he has about Jude 4 and licentious living. And then as long as we're in Jude, we're going to turn over to Jude 7, a few verses later, and talk about what Jude 7 uh, refers to when it's talking about eternal fire. Uh, in relation to Sodom and Gomorrah, and how that relates to us and our living today. So that's where we're headed today. Stick around for all three. All right, so if you've been paying attention to the news cycle in the last couple of weeks, you've probably been seeing several examples of, I'm going to refer to it as media hypocrisy, but it's not just in the media. Uh, it's uh, all over people with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and so on. Let me just give you three examples. I could give you uh, more. I could do the seven woes of Jesus like he did in Matthew, but let's just do three. Uh, first, Governor Cuomo out in New York. He has had, I think by last count, six. Uh, I saw one this morning, so maybe that's up to seven now. I'm not sure. Uh, women who have come forward with allegations of sexual misconduct. Okay? Now, um, that's great. I- I'm glad that women are doing this, uh, but... The mostly the media has been ignoring this. Now, just imagine if these six women or seven women had come forward against a conservative governor like Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Do you think the media would be silent about that? No. Uh, but when it comes, the allegations come forward against a Democratic governor, then the media mostly ignores it because they want to talk about Harry and Meghan instead or something like that. Okay. Um, now, there's also been allegations against Biden. Strangely enough, most Biden voters never even heard a single word about those allegations, even though there's pictures of of him all over the Internet, grabbing, caressing, kissing little girls as they try to squirm away. It's really disgusting behavior. Uh, But nobody in the media wants to talk about about Cuomo or Biden because they're Democrats. Uh, You know, instead, they want to focus on Dr. Seuss and Pepe Le Pew. So uh, it's it's very hypocritical. Second um, uh, example here. How about uh, it's been 50 days since Biden's inauguration and he still has not held a single press conference. All right. This is a record for any president in his first term. Now, once again, just imagine if Trump had done this or any president, really. The media would be screaming for access, calling for transparency. Right. Uh, But with Biden, the media just doesn't seem to care too much. They throw excuses for him. Oh, well, you know, it's Biden. He's too busy. Who knows what it is? We all know the reason why he won't uh, get there in front of the cameras. Uh, but it's been 50 days, and that's that's a record. And again, what would happen if this had been a, a conservative president like Trump? All right, third example. There are currently a record number of children in these holding facilities along our southern border, These these migrant children down there. Now, if you remember, during the years of 2016 to 2020, when Trump had these unaccompanied minors in the holding facilities down along our southern border, you remember uh, that the media went crazy, and many of the Democrat politicians also 
um, were calling for the, the accusing Trump of putting kids in cages. That was the term they used, even though there was no such thing as kids in cages during the Trump era. If you see pictures online of kids in chain link cages, those all come from the Obama presidency years. Um, but, uh, you know, facts <laughs> don't matter to the media sometimes. Uh, but uh, during the Trump years, there were fewer children in migrant facilities than there are currently right now under Biden. But does that get reported? No. Um, do, do, do the media or politicians accuse Biden of putting kids in cages? No. When you look into the situation, then you understand why these children are put into these uh, relatively very nice uh, holding facilities along our southern border. It's because they're unaccompanied. They don't have parents with them or the people, the, the men usually, that they came with there's some good indication that these men are not their fathers. The men are trying to smuggle these children across the border to sell them into slavery or sex trade or something else. And so it is a good thing that we are uh, separating these children from their quote-unquote uh, adult um, guides or whatever because they're not their parents, okay? So what are we supposed to do with them? Are we supposed to send them back? Uh, that's not a good thing. We're just supposed to release them into the United States? Well, we shouldn't be doing that. Are you going to put them up for adoption? Adoption? Well, they actually have parents probably somewhere, but how are you going to find them? Okay, it's a very difficult issue. And uh, sadly, Biden's border policy is making it worse because he has opened the border and inviting people to come, which then, of course, increases the chance that there will be more unaccompanied minors. Okay, but again, the media is not going to report this. And again, it's extremely hypocritical for no one uh, in the media or the Democrat politicians to be screaming and crying about kids in cages under Biden, when it's the exact same uh, thing, just worse under Biden than it was under Trump. Okay, so again, those are just three examples, and I could go on and on, you know, give the seven woes on hypocrites and blind guides like Jesus did. Um, but I, I do want to get into our Bible study passage. And so let me just uh, provide you with one quick guideline to sort of help you avoid this hypocrisy that we see all over the place in the media today. And it's this, here's the guideline. Anytime you want to criticize any politician, or really any person in general, but any politician, anyone in the political arena for something they did, okay, or allegedly did, right, pause and ask yourself, if the tables were turned, if someone in my political party, if my preferred political candidate or group had done something similar, would I be saying the same thing about them? All right, so whatever you're thinking about, uh, whenever you're thinking about criticizing a political opponent or media personality or whatever for their actions, first consider whether you would say and do the same thing if someone from your own political party had done it. And by the way, chances are someone from your political party already has done something similar. Okay, uh, so all you have to do is go back in time, go back in history and take a look and you will find somebody who probably said something similar or did something similar. So it's not really a hypothetical situation. You can literally say, when this happened in my party, what did I say? What did I do? And if you cried out, we need justice, we need uh, an investigation, this needs to happen, this person needs to resign, all right, this person needs to be impeached for fill in the blank. Okay, if that's what you called for in the past, then when someone from your preferred party is doing it now, you should be saying the same thing. Otherwise, you're being hypocritical. 
If you remained silent before, then feel free to remain silent now uh, and vice versa. Okay, but if you called out for it now and you didn't call out for it then, then you're being hypocritical. Okay, so again, the, the migrant facilities, for example, people were, were all over Twitter talking about kids in cages. If you're on Twitter and any time between 2016 to 2020, you tweeted about Trump's kids in cages along the border, and you are now remaining silent about the same exact thing under Biden, then you are behaving hypocritically. It's as simple as that. Okay, but if you criticize Trump and you want to criticize Biden for it, go ahead. And you should, because that is being consistent. If you didn't criticize Trump, um, as I didn't, okay, then I'm not going to criticize Biden for it, for putting these kids in the migrant facilities there, because I have talked with ICE agents and I know the situation of what's going on down there. And I know that it's a very difficult situation and it's very sad, and it, there's no good solutions to what is happening. Now, I can criticize Biden for opening up the border and making the situation worse, because um, that is why a lot of these children are there. And Trump tried to shut down the border, not because we don't want immigrants here or migrants, we do, but uh, we need to make sure that we're not allowing criminal migrants in, especially men who are trying to bring children in to sell them into slavery and other things like that, okay? So, um, that's just an example. Now, how about these sexual misconduct allegations against Cuomo? Well, in 2016, um, or 2017, I guess I should say, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, did you tweet about believe all women, right? And, uh, and, and cry out for justice for women, right, against Kavanaugh? Well, uh, if you did, then you should be saying the exact same thing today about the allegations against Cuomo. If you tweeted about the Believe All Women during the Kavanaugh hearings and you're silent now about uh, Cuomo, well, then you are being hypocritical, okay? Um, I, I believe that these sorts of things should be investigated. Um, it's, they're very serious investigations, and I was fine with the investigations under, under Kavanaugh. Now, it, it quickly became clear that there was no hard evidence, that there was, I mean, these, these allegations were from decades ago. And, uh, but fine, have the hearing, whatever. Okay, uh, well, then the same thing should be done under Cuomo now. And that's just consistency. All right. Uh, so, so look, we could go on and on, but I don't want to belabor the point. I think you understand. If we are going to have beliefs and values and morals as followers of Jesus, and if we're going to avoid hypocrisy, then we must apply these beliefs and values and morals consistently across the board to everybody, including ourselves, right? And whether we agree with someone politically or not, whether they're a part of our group or not, these beliefs and values can be and should be applied consistently to all, okay? And by the way, do yourself a favor, turn off the, the, the cable nightly news, turn off the media, all right? They are trying to uh, create fear in the lives of American citizens. They are, they are lying to you. And uh, the media is some of the biggest hypocrites of all time on this. So do yourself a favor. Just turn off the media. Don't listen to them uh, and what they are spewing on their nightly news. Okay, so with that in mind... Let's... I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's something in your email box. Oh, well, in that case, let's turn to my email. So I got an email from a reader, and here is what this reader wrote. How do you harmonize eternal security with the book of Jude? 
especially the statement in Jude 4 about licentious men who deny God and Jesus Christ. It says they abuse the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness or lewdness. If a person, pastor, teacher, etc. promotes eternal security, aren't they teaching and promoting licentious living, saying we can sin or abuse God's grace and still be saved? I read Zane Hodges' Power to Stand, an exposition on Jude, and it brought some confusion questions. One of the many questions I had long ago. I was wondering if you might answer it. I'm grateful for your website and ministry. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, uh, yes, to be to let's just try to address this real, real real quickly. Yes, I do believe in eternal security. In fact, if you look at the notes for this podcast episode, I will link to one of my articles on this called "11 Reasons I Hold to Eternal Security." You can also find that simply by searching Google. Or, by the way, I'm starting to use DuckDuckGo. I highly encourage it. Um, they don't censor their search results the way Google has started to do over the last several years. And uh, one of the primary reasons I hold to eternal security is grace. Obviously, grace, I think, leads us to believe in eternal security. Uh, in my Gospel Dictionary online course about grace, uh, the, the lesson on grace, the Gospel Dictionary online course looks at 52 keywords of the gospel, and one of those is grace. And in that lesson, I said this, it is extravagant, outrageous grace, which shocks all sense of propriety. God is shameless in his love for us, so that even when we say and do things that would chase off any human being, God sticks with us and sticks by us. But as soon as we seek to limit God's grace or restrict God's grace to, you know, just a holy few, the people who are really obedient, then we have stopped believing in grace and we plunge headlong into the hell of religion. Right? So grace is free, absolutely free. It has no limits, borders, restrictions, or conditions. It is freely given, it is freely received, and as such, it can never be rescinded or revoked. There is nothing that can be done or not done to earn, merit, or deserve grace. It cannot be increased or decreased, merited or demerited. Grace is infinite, universal, and free. Okay, that's what I said about grace. And then in the lesson, I said, went on to say this. I can hear the objections already. If grace is how I have been describing it, won't people take advantage of grace? Right? That's the question this reader has sent in. Doesn't grace, um, the way you teach it in relation to eternal security, lead to licentiousness? If so, how do we respond to Jude 4? My answer again in the lesson on grace uh, to, to this uh, uh, objection is, and he, here's what I said, the question was, won't people take advantage of this kind of grace? The answer to that question is, of course they will. <laughs> yes, they will. Okay, but grace that comes with restrictions to avoid being abused is no longer grace. In fact, true grace, by definition, opens itself up to being abused. It is not true grace if it cannot be abused. Okay? So, by definition, grace can be abused. It opens itself self up for abuse. 
All right? And, and if you think about this, if God were to say, well, I don't want my grace to be abused, because he doesn't, he doesn't want his grace to be abused. So if God said, I don't want my grace to be abused, therefore, I am going to restrict people from abusing it. I'm going to limit what limit uh, the, the, the extent of my grace so that it cannot be abused. Well, guess what? Now it is no longer grace. It's no longer free. It's no longer infinite. And therefore, it's not grace. Uh, it would instead be earned favor from God rather than unearned. Uh, it would be deserved because either we worked for it to become holy enough to achieve it, or we kept it through our own good behavior. And now it's works-based, and therefore it's no longer grace, right? We would only be living in God-approved behavior. And so uh, he would have to give us eternal life because of our good work rather than give it to us freely by his grace. You see, as soon as you put limits on grace, it's no longer grace. Okay, so how does all of this fit in with Jude 4? That's really the question that the reader sent in. So um, some translations do say licentious teachers. Um, uh, Some translations say lewd teachers, lewdness. And of course, both refer to behaviors that are lustful or vulgar or lascivious. Uh, personally, I like the translation licentious. It's not really a word that people use too much, but I think it carries the best translation, the best meaning of the, the, what Jude is, is teaching here. And also because licentious, it, inside it has this word license. Okay, so what's a license? Well, a license allows you to do something. Uh, a driver's license makes it legal for you to drive. A fishing license allows you to fish and so on. Okay, so uh, these teachers that Jude is warning his readers about, they were saying that grace is a license to sin. Grace gives you the freedom to sin. Okay, Uh, you can sin all you want and it won't matter. That's what they were basically teaching. Okay, now, if you were at all familiar with some of my teachings, you might say, Jeremy, you taught the exact same thing. Okay, in fact... um, I have an article right now on my website called Since Grace is Free, You Can Sin All You Want. That's also part of my uh, Gospel According to Scripture online course. Okay, so does the warning of Jude 4 apply to me? (laughs) Uh, Am I the type of teacher Jude was warning people against? No, Uh, no, I am not. And here's why. Okay, from the context of Jude 4, it appears these teachers were saying that Christians could go sin all they want, and that behavior doesn't matter. That sinful behavior doesn't matter. Grace covers it. It's taken care of. Uh, so you don't. there's no consequences. There's no serious consequences to your sinful behavior because of grace. That truly is licentiousness, licensed living. It, it's the freedom. It makes sin. Sin is not illegal for you anymore. And I have never taught anything of the sort. Okay, I teach no such thing. I say that while grace does allow you to go sin all you want, <laughs> if you're going to live that way, there will be serious and devastating and destructive consequences in your life as a result. Okay, you don't have a license to sin. <laughs> uh, it's not legal in God's economy, in a sense, in God's government, for you to go do anything you want. Okay, grace will allow you to do that, uh, and you're not going to lose your eternal life, but there will be consequences as a result. Grace, when you truly understand grace, teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, as we read about in Titus 2, 11, and 12. 
Okay, so let me put it this way. Uh, the, the teachers Jude was writing against were saying, grace allows people to sin all they want, and there's no serious consequences if they live that way. Okay, I and other eternal security teachers like myself say that while grace does allow people to sin all they want, grace also teaches us there's very, very serious consequences if we do go sin all we want. Okay, like what? Well, um, you will not lose your eternal life, and that's where the truth of eternal security comes in. Okay? You're not going to lose your eternal life. Eternal life is eternal by definition. Well, fine then. What are the consequences? Well, there's sin causes serious consequences in our life now and to some degree in eternity. Okay? If you decide to abuse grace and live in sin now, then you will suffer devastation and destruction to things like your health. Okay? You, we all know examples of people who have lost their health because of sinful living. Uh, destruction in your marriage, destruction in your finances, destruction to your job, your psychological and emotional well-being, maybe even your eternal rewards in eternity. Okay? Uh, and so... Uh, no eternal, re- I'm sorry, no uh, eternal security teacher would ever say that we have a license to sin. Grace will allow you to sin in the sense that you're not going to lose your eternal security, but there will be numerous and many other devastating and serious consequences to sin in your life, okay? So, there's a vast difference then, isn't there? Uh, in the teaching of eternal security, free grace is not a license to sin. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a warning against sin. Okay, we do say, as I have said, yes, grace allows you to sin all you want. But we are quick to add to that, when you really understand what grace is, why would you want to go sin all you want? Grace allows you to sin all you want, just like owning a knife allows you to stab it in your leg. <laughs> okay, that's going to hurt. Uh, and that's what grace teaches us. Grace teaches us that sin is going to hurt. Can you sin? Well, you can if you want to, but why would you want to? It's going to hurt, just like stabbing a knife in your leg is going to hurt. Okay? So, uh, yes, you can sin. Uh, grace allows you to sin all you want, but why would you want to? All right? So, so the teaching on eternal security, look, it's not a license to sin. It's not licentiousness. Uh, it's the exact opposite. We uphold the grace of God in all its glory, but we also know that grace, when it's properly taught and understood— teaches us to live righteously and godly in this present world. Again, from Titus 2, 11 and 12. Grace, when truly grasped, is not the freedom to sin. It is the freedom to truly start living. Okay, so that's a brief explanation of Jude 4 in relation to eternal security. And as long as we're here, let's just turn a couple verses over to consider Jude 7 for our scripture text study of this podcast episode. So here's what we read in Jude verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah, we're sort of jumping right here into the middle of his sentence, but it's fine, we'll get the context later. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so um, we want to talk about this fire, but this is just some of the context here. 
that uh, relates to what we just looked at in Jude 4, and this is so the sexual immorality sort of concept is some of what the uh, what Jude was talking about in relation to these false teachers. So, by the way, this uh, this part on Jude 4, also referring to my Gospel Dictionary online course, if you're part of my discipleship group, um, this this is found in the lesson on fire. All right, so I talk about Jude 7 in the lesson on fire there. Oh, it's also, if you're not part of my discipleship group, it's also in my book, What is Hell?, which you can get on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Okay, so... Here, the author is pointing, Jude is pointing to the, destruction, to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of what happens to people who stray from the will of God, okay? And he says they will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire, just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah did, all right? So, uh, what is this talking about? Lots of people, when they read Jude 7, Jude 7 they think of hell, all right, so people who are sexually immoral are going to go to hell. And that's how they read and apply Jude 7. And of course, that concerns people because if they're Christians and they stray and they fall or whatever, then they think, oh, I lost my eternal life and I'm going to go to hell because Jude 7 says so. And it creates all sorts of problems. But that's not what Jude has in mind. And let's just talk about why we know that. So first, uh, it's important to recognize that this reference to Sodom and Gomorrah it's parallel to the preceding two examples that Jude has talked about here, uh, preceding this verse. Okay, Jude likes to talk in, uh, write in triplicates. Whenever he writes about something, he tends to give three examples. Okay, so prior to writing about Sodom and Gomorrah, he writes about the death of some Israelites in the wilderness. That's in Jude 5. Why did they die? Because they didn't believe. And then the imprisonment of some angels in everlasting chains while they await judgment. That's Jude 6. Okay, so now that first example of the Israelites then in the wilderness clearly refers to physical death, right? The Israelites died in the wilderness. It has nothing whatsoever to do with torment, eternal torment in hell fire. Okay, uh, however, the example of the angels is a little more difficult because... Honestly, we're not quite sure what Jude has in mind there, all right? Uh, some scholars think he's referring to the sons of God. You might remember this from uh, Genesis chapter 6. The sons of God had sexual relations with the daughters of men. And uh, so people say, well, they must be imprisoned in chains and they're awaiting judgment. Uh, but notice that uh, even if that's what is in mind here, and whoever these angels are, it says they're imprisoned in chains of darkness, Okay, so they're not being tortured in hellfire. So whatever this was referring to, again, it's not hell for these for these angels. Um, I mean, darkness and fire are mutually exclusive. Fire gives off light, but these are in chains of darkness. It's it, it's it's quite different. Uh, also, since these angels are immortal, they cannot be killed. So, uh, but whoever they are, they were imprisoned and they are awaiting judgment, okay? So they can't continue to do what they were doing. Basically, that's the idea here, whoever they were. All right, um, and, and again, not really the point for our, our lesson today. The third example then of Sodom and Gomorrah here in Jude 7, it's sort of a combination, I would say, of the first two. Like the angels, the inhabitants of the cities, you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis 19, uh, the angels committed sexual immorality and went after strange flesh, okay? So uh, the angels also went after strange flesh, uh, and if it is referring to Genesis chapter 6, then it was a form of sexual immorality, I guess. 
Um, and also, um, it, it's referring to, remember when the angels tried to visit Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the men of the city came and they tried to rape them. And uh, that also is this form of sexual immorality, the rape and inhospitality uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Which is also talked about in Ezekiel 16. So the result of this behavior, of course, is that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with fire. All right, so those are the three examples. Now, how do we know here in Jude 7 that he that Jude is not referring to etor- eternal torment in flames of hell? Well, we know this for several reasons. First, uh, because Jude says that this, that Sodom and Gomorrah were set forth as an example, uh, which means that this example could be seen by humans. All right, if Jude's referring to eternal fires of hell, then Sodom and Gomorrah could not be set forth as an example to be seen and witnessed by humans, right? Because their their suffering would be in the afterlife and had would have nothing to do with us being able to see it today. Okay, so so and it would be in the future anyway. So 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 Jude isn't can't be referring to some sort of future or afterlife punishment in hellfire because then it cannot be sent set forth as a historical example to mankind. Okay, but we also know that Jude is not referring to eternal flames of hell because of what he writes later in the letter in Jude 23. Jude writes that it is possible to pull people out of the fire. And in fact, he encourages us to try to do this. And in fact, that's exactly what the angels did with Lot and his family. They were about to be destroyed in the fires that were going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels went in and warned them and pulled them out of the fire, as it were. They were rescued, pulled, or delivered from the flames that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And James seems to indicate later in Jude 23 that we should try to do similar thing today, to people today. Now, if Jude is referring to to flames of hell, um, then he would be teaching that it's possible to rescue and deliver people from from hell after they're already there. Uh, but, But nobody really believes that. It's better to recognize from the context that Jude is not thinking about eternal torment in flames of hell but rather everlasting destruction of cities due to temporal flames. And let me explain what I mean. Um, uh, Can you go visit Sodom and Gomorrah today? You cannot, okay? In fact, in in the days of Jesus and Jude, you couldn't then either. It's not like you can go see the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah and tour them because they were destroyed and they are no longer in existence. And um, they will never be in existence. They will not be rebuilt. That's the idea here, that they've been destroyed with everlasting fire. And in fact, this is exactly how to understand the phrase, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. First of all, it's not really the best translation. Suffering the vengeance. um, It it sort of uh, has a similar phrase over in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9 where um, the first word, suffering, it sort of means penalty or justice. And the second word, um, vengeance, appears only here in Jude chapter 7 in the New Testament. And it, it literally means to undergo or, or hold under and carries the idea of experiencing something. Okay, so, so the phrase itself really means to undergo justice or to experience justice or, or, or the penalty of your behavior, something like that. 
And um, basically, as frequently mentioned, that the, the this experience of justice, this this penalty of sin. I talk about this a lot in other podcast episodes and in various books and in all over the place in my online courses. Um, the, the penalty of sin is not something that God sends upon us. Okay, sin bears its own punishment. So the wrath of God, wrath itself, punishment of sin, consequences of sin— we bring those upon our own heads when we sin. We don't sin, and then God says, well, because you did that, I'm going to have to inflict pain on you. No, Jesus warns us against the pain of sin, because not because he is going to pour it out upon us or inflict pain upon us because we sin, but because sin bears its own punishment with it, and he doesn't want to see us get hurt. Okay? So that's exactly, basically, what Jude is saying here in verse 10 when he talks or, or, or a little bit later in verse 10, when he says the false teachers corrupt themselves. When false teachers teach false things, God isn't corrupting them, pouring corruption upon them or anything like that. They corrupt themselves. Similarly, here in verse 7, the corruption and punishment that comes upon people, especially upon Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it's brought upon their own heads. It's self-inflicted punishment. And here, Jude says this was eternal fire. Um, now, what does that mean? Does that mean the cities are still burning today? Again, no, they're not. You can go to that region of the world, and you will not find burning cities there that are continuing to burn. It basically means that the fire that fell upon those cities destroyed them completely. Fire is a destructive image in Scripture, and we can bring fire into our own lives, even though we may not officially get burned, actually, you know, literally get burned. Fire in your life is a symbolic uh, way of talking about destruction that comes into your life. So that's what's happening here. The cities were completely destroyed, and they have not been rebuilt. In fact, um, if you go to that region now today, what you're going to find is water. Um, The cities are likely buried or sunken or some form or another under what is now the Dead Sea. And by the way, in the days of Jesus and Jude, and probably even before that, Historically, you can find historic records of this, which I've included elsewhere. Um, The Dead Sea was known as the Lake of Fire. Uh, So when the Bible talks about the Lake of Fire, guess what? It's not referring to an afterlife place where people scream and suffer for eternity. It's referring to the Dead Sea. And uh, at that time, there were actually frequent bouts of flame and smoke and burning sulfur uh, on the shores, shore regions of Lake of Fire, uh, of the Dead Sea, and sometimes even flame would burst out of the middle of the Lake of Fire, out of the water, because of uh, explosions of gases that were underneath it and, and, and building up down there and so on. Okay, Again, I talk about this more in my book on hell and so on. Okay, So in the days of Jesus then, this valley was often filled with smoke, it was smoldering, And they assumed that it had been doing this for thousands of years since the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it would be doing that forevermore. So that's what Jude has in mind when he talks about the cities suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, They were destroyed by fire. The valley that they were in was still had smoke and sometimes fire in it. It was under the lake of fire. Uh, So it's not hell, but it's the ongoing physical destruction and devastation that came upon those cities. That is the overall truth that Jude is trying to teach here in Jude 4 and Jude 7, okay? These teachers, 
are saying that grace allows you to go sin all you want and there's no consequences. Jude says, no, 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 no. Let me give you three examples of there, there really are consequences here. Uh, the, the, the abandoning grace so you can sin all you want is a recipe for disaster. Look, grace can be abused, but the abuse of grace has consequences. Uh, it leads to devastation and destruction. It leads to fire sweeping through your life and destroying it. Okay, It invites uh, fire into your life when you abandon grace to go sin. Uh, and it sweeps through your life, and it leaves behind only dust and ashes, just as had been done with the cities, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so uh, I hope that sort of helps make sense of Jude 4 and Jude 7. Bottom line truth from these verses, this passage, in fact, the entire letter of Jude as a whole is, don't abuse grace. Yes, it can be abused, but that doesn't mean we should. Uh, grace is actually given to us so that we might live free from sin, not be subject to it again. Okay, so therefore, the message of Jude is, live in the freedom for which you have been set free. And I hope that that is what happens to you in the days and weeks ahead as you think about this. Also, some take some of my courses for more of this types of teaching and here on the podcast as well. So anyway, thanks for the readers for sending in the questions and comments, and I hope you found this podcast teaching instructive and helpful as we try to understand what Jude is talking about here in this passage. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week when we look at another text from Scripture and how it relates to you and your life as a follower of Jesus. See you then.